Well, today we're doing things a little bit uh, backwards. We normally read a psalm and then read a sermon text. You notice we read a text out of Second Corinthians as in worship, and now we're reading Psalm 32, which will also serve as our study today. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, as comes through his servant David. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not hide my iniquity. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all of you, upright in heart. May God bless the reading of his word. One of mine and Pat's favorite things is to have our grandkids come spend a few days with us the weekend. And one of our favorite times when they do that is bedtime. <laughs> now, not for that reason. But one thing is that our, the three-year-old will go and take his bath, and then while the seven-year-old, six-year-old, almost seven, will take in his bath, well, the three-year-old will come get his books and climb up in my lap and want me to read to him. One of his current favorites is this book here, No One But God. And it's a pretty simple book, as you would expect for a three-year-old. It makes the point that while we can do a lot of things, there are some things that only God can do. For example, you were wanting me to read this, weren't you? I can build a boat. I can build a house. But I can't build an elephant or even a... Hey, do y'all have this book too? It's fun, isn't it? Yeah. I can make something sweet. I can make something sour. But I can't make a tree, and I can't make a... Yeah, yeah. whoever wrote this, it must be a West Texan, if they're rhyming sour with flower, don't you think? <laughs> All right. Uh, that's the way it works. Oh, one of my other favorite pages is, if I put my mind to it, I could make a balloon, but I can't make the sun, and I can't make the... Yeah, you got it. All right. Well, it's a fun book to read, and it makes a very valid point that there are some things we just can't do. And David, when he wrote Psalm 32, 
even though he probably didn't think of it as Psalm 32. But when he wrote that psalm, that's exactly the point that he was making. That there are some things I can do and there's some things I can't do. And in fact, he goes on to make the point that sometimes I try to do the things that I can't do. And that's where I really get in trouble. In fact, if he were writing or putting what his message from Psalm 32 into this book and writing it in modern day, maybe he would have written a page that goes like this. I can go bowling and knock down some pins, but I cannot ever forgive my own sins. One of the points that David wanted us to know It's something that sounds even a little strange to our ears today. Is that one of the problems we can get into is trying to do something that only God can do. And particularly when we decide that we're going to handle our own sins. That that is something that we are going to take take care of. That we can hide them. We can cover them. We can kind of get them out of our life and they'll go away and then everything will be all right. In our modern society, we've sort of gotten to the point that we don't really talk much or think much anymore about the problem of dealing with the sins in our lives. And really what we've opted for is what David is warning us against, that it's kind of personal My own sins are my sins, and I'll deal with them, and I'll be okay. David said that doesn't work. And David is not the only one who said it won't work. Another guy named Jesus said basically the same thing. There's a wonderful story in the Gospels. In fact, it's so important that it occurs three times. You know, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And a lot of the stories that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell are, are sort of exclusive to one of the Gospels. Each one of them sort of picked the stories about Jesus they wanted us to hear. But on occasion... All or most of them choose one of the same stories to tell. And and this is one of those stories that three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all chose to tell us. Therefore, you know it's an important story. It's a story that I think you already know. It occurred at the time when Jesus was really popular. You know, Jesus' popularity in the Gospels, he sort of goes up and he goes down and he goes up and he goes down. Well, this is one of those up times. This is when everybody thought Jesus was wonderful, or at least the common folks did. And he, is a, he was attracting huge crowds as he went out and preached, and also as he healed people. So the story goes that one day he was in a house, and he was preaching and teaching and healing, and the crowd was so large that it filled the house, and people were sitting around the house listening looking through the windows, looking through the doors, and just trying to be near Jesus and hearing what he was saying. And as he was preaching and teaching, some people came along carrying a friend of theirs that had a terrible problem. Does anyone remember what this problem was? He was a man who was paralyzed, wasn't he? And they had to carry him. And you you can imagine what a difficult thing that was to pick him up 
put him on a mat to pick up the mat some way. I don't have a real clear picture of how they accomplished all this, but carrying their friend because they were convinced if they could just get him to Jesus, Jesus would heal him and would get rid of this terrible problem that he had in his life. Well, they get to Jesus, and they're really disappointed because when they get there, they can't get close. There's too many people around. They can't get in the house. They, they can't get Jesus' attention. What are they going to do? One of them had a bright idea. Why don't we carry our friend up on top of the house? And then we can take off the roofing material. Back then, the roofs on houses were not quite as, as secure as they are now. It was thatch and maybe some loose tiles laid up there. And anyway, it was something that they could remove fairly easily. In fact, I think they probably could remove the roofing material a lot easier than they could carry their friend up to the top of the house. I've, I've often wondered about that. I know some of those houses were built with little stairways that went up the side of the house because that was a place to sit uh, in, the, in the afternoons and get the cool breeze that came off the Mediterranean Sea. So maybe there was a stairway, but they might have just had to put a ladder up there too. I used to carry shingles up. That was one of my summer occupations when I was going to school, carrying bundles of shingles up a ladder and onto a roof. Anyone else ever done that? That's kind of hard, isn't it? Can you imagine getting this man up on top of that roof? But they're so dedicated. They love him so much. They know Jesus can, can solve this problem for him. So they get him up on the roof. They start taking off the roofing material. You can imagine what's going on inside the house as the people are hearing people walking up on top. And then all of a sudden they see the lights start coming through and, and they look up and there's these faces looking down on them and they finally get the hole big enough. And then here comes this mat. They letting him down, trying to keep him straight. This is yeah, we can just read right past. This was a pretty difficult thing to do, wasn't it? They finally get, and they get him down and he's lying there in front of Jesus and Jesus looks at him. And what do you think? When you see someone who is paralyzed, what, what is the first thought that comes to your mind? Isn't it some kind of sympathy? Yeah. You feel so sorry for them. And, and why do you feel sorry for them? Because they're paralyzed. They can't move. They can't get up and live like the rest of us are able to move about. it. And your heart just goes out to them. Well, when Jesus saw this man... He saw he really had a problem, and his heart went out to him. And so, therefore, the very first thing he says to him is to address the biggest problem this man has in his life. And the very first thing he says to him is, My son, your sins are forgiven. Boy, that just kind of plays with my mind. That when Jesus saw a paralyzed man, now, he knew he had a problem with the paralysis. Jesus could see that, and he was going to take care of that. But first things first. And this just jumps in my face and says, Tommy, what is the biggest problem you can have in your life? And the answer to that question is, you can have sins that have not been forgiven. You can have wounds that are not healed. You can have a sickness of your spirit and your soul that has yet to be addressed by God. Now, it's interesting that whenever Jesus said that, my son, your sins are forgiven, 
the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, they just went ballistic. They said, you can't do that. You can do this, you can do that, but only God can forgive sins. Were they right or wrong? Oh, they're right. They're right on that one, aren't they? They were as right as they could be. Where they were wrong was they didn't realize that Jesus was God in the flesh. But they're very right in saying only God can forgive sins. And they're so right that I need to hear a message from them. Isn't it nice to even be taught something by the scribes and the Pharisees every once in a while? Because they had that one right, and sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I believe I can handle my mistakes, that I can deal with the problems in my heart. And anything that I've gotten wrong, any sin, if I just sort of push it aside, it'll go away and everything will be okay. David wrote Psalm 32 to let us know that that's not the way things happen. That sin in our hearts doesn't just go away. That sin in our lives has to be addressed by God. And that only God can make a sin-sick soul well again. Only God can make those who have disappointed and let God down healthy and whole again. So let's look at Psalm 32 very briefly and see what the points that David makes are. You know, i got to warn you one more thing. Psalm 32 is, like all Psalms, they're poems. And sometimes poems are kind of, they're, they're not as accessible to us. Probably not many of you in this room spend a lot of your time reading poetry. And I know we probably have some poetry lovers in here. But for the most part, that's kind of gotten pushed over to the side in our lives. We just don't read much poetry. What we read is mainly on the Internet. We read little short uh, summaries of things. We want things, you know, that just are right there. They tell us that they've got a picture, Right? Okay, that's what we want to read. And we want things that, that give us a, a deal. If, if you want to fit learn how to fix something, you want it to be number one, number two, number three. You know, give us, give us the steps to get this thing fixed. Well, when David writes Psalm 32, he writes it in poetry, and the language is very beautiful. The language is very compact. And sometimes we have to linger over it a little bit to understand what he's saying. And also, he doesn't put things in order or the order that we would like for him to. So what we want to do in just the next seven or eight minutes is unpack this psalm a little bit and learn what it is that we can do when our souls are sick with sin. And we're going to rearrange the psalm somewhat. And I don't think David would have too much trouble with that. I mean, this psalm has endured about 3,000 years. I don't think that our tinkering with it is going to destroy it in any way. So I invite you to open your Bibles or to pull a Bible out of the pew there and open to Psalm 32 because we're going to skip around a little bit. We're going to go fast, but it's so important. It's so important for us to know what to do when we have sick souls. And our spirits are faltering. We're going to begin with David's purpose statement. It's either David speaking or perhaps God through David. And it's found in verses 8 and 9. If I were writing this psalm, I would have started with verses 8 and 9. 
And here's what he says in those verses. I have something to tell you, something that can change your life. In fact, it will teach you how to live and how to enjoy life. So sit down, relax, listen to me. Don't be like a horse or a mule that we have to put a bit and bridle in its mouth and drag it over here. You know, in other words, what we're going to talk about is vital to you. Don't have your mind somewhere else. Don't be going here and there and you know, make it hard for us to pull you over. This is what you need if you want to enjoy life. This is what you need to know if you want to be healthy, if you want to have a whole life. He moves on to verses 3 and 4 to describe what was wrong in his life. In verses 3 and 4, he basically says this. There was a time in my life when I felt worn out. I felt old before my time, like my body was just wasting away. I felt this way even though I kept going about, roaring about. It says groaning in my version. I don't know what your version says, but the real word is roaring. You know, I was just steaming through, through life, doing what I was supposed to do, but inside I was empty. Inside I was tired. I even felt like God was against me, his hand heavy upon me. All my energy was gone. It was just sapped from me. I felt like a plant in the middle of the West Texas July just wilting away under the sun. He says, that's how I felt. And at that point, I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know what was going on that I always felt this way. Nobody probably even knew I felt that way. But that's how I was. Was it that other people were giving me problems? Was it just my circumstances? Or was there something wrong inside of me? In verse 5, he comes to grips with what it is that's wrong. Then he said, I acknowledged my sin to you. I quit trying to hide it. There are things we can do and there's things we cannot do. I want to skip ahead just a little bit and let you know that this whole psalm is promoting the idea that you need to hide your sin. Now that sounds almost unbiblical, doesn't it? But the ultimate goal is to cover things up in your life. You know, there are things about your life I don't want to ever know. (laughs) And there's things about my life I don't want you to ever know. There are things in my life I want to have covered up. There are things in your life you need to have covered up. But the question is, who does the covering? Is it something you are trying to do on your own? That you're trying just to ignore them? Pretend they're not relevant while they eat away at your life? And what David says, it finally dawned on me that I cannot forgive myself. That I don't have the power to heal the damage that I've done to my life. So that's when he says, Therefore, I decided I would acknowledge my sin to the Lord. I did not hide my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And guess what God did whenever he opened his heart? He poured it out. He said, I'm sorry. Here it is. Take it and heal it. He says, you forgave me the guilt of my sin. 
He goes on to talk about how you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. And you surround me with glad cries of deliverance. You know what he's saying is that when God forgives you, something happens. It's not a mind game that you're playing. That if you truly open your life up to God and say, I'm sorry, I confess that I've made these mistakes, that I was wrong in this. Please forgive me that his healing, mercy, and grace and power comes into your life. If that's not true, then the rest of this is all a sham as well. That it really does heal your soul for God to forgive you. And David says, do it. Quit trying to cover things up yourself. But let him, let him cover your sins and hide you in his sheltering arm. That's why then in verse 1, we're ready to read it now. It says, happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. If you want to live a life where you can breathe easy and feel okay with God, then it's only after your sins have been forgiven and it's all been covered up, but not by you. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And verse 10, many are the torments of the wicked, But steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. There are things you can do, and there's things only God can do. And if you are tired of trying to forgive yourself, then you are ready to open your heart and let the Lord forgive you. As David shows us, it's simple as turning to him and opening your life and asking for his forgiveness. And through the power of his son and the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, as we have come to know now, that power is available to each one of us. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God has called us to be reconciled to him. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. And we as the church stand ready to put our arms around each other and to lift each other up in prayer and to pray for the healing spirit of God to come into our lives. We're going to stand, we're going to sing a song. And the leaders of this church will make themselves available to you on the sides, in the back, up here at the front. Or even if you want to wait till afterwards, and you want to go back to the parlor area there in the hallway, they'll be waiting for you. But listen, if your soul is weary and you are tired, maybe you're trying to do some things you can't do. It's time to let God, it's time to let Him do what only He can do. Let's stand this.